0: Colossians 2. Um, can you put the first slide up if you don't mind? Hopefully it's there. It was? Church? Hold on a second. There will be a slight pause. It was on church. There we go. <laughs> you like shadow puppets? I like that one. <laughs> um, do you like that one? That will become relevant, honest. It's not just me trying to crack a poor joke. Um, We're looking at the series on Colossians, and it's a a fascinating book, a a brilliant book. Um, It's a letter that is almost a partner letter to Ephesians. Uh, And in fact, you know, it goes great if you read Ephesians and Colossians together. Uh, It covers much of the same ground. But surprisingly as well... um, it, it seems to have very strong links into the book of Hebrews which probably wasn't written by Paul um, so d- just sort of have that in the back of your mind and if in your personal readings you want to sort of a little challenge read, read Ephesians and then read Colossians and read Hebrews and you'll see the links between them last week with uh, Paul uh, or rather with Luke um, in his message he points out that Paul talks about that salvation was something done to us. Have you got that? Salvation is something that's done to us. Just as our holiness is something that is done to us. We must understand the depth of grace when jesus said it is finished it totally was a finished work what can you add to a finished work nothing so salvation is not about what you do yourself but it's given by god as we accept his free gift to us we can never be good enough and yet, the strange thing is, the church is full of weirdos. Yeah, it's true. Let me, let me tell you something I often say. If you're weird before you become a Christian, <laughs> the chances are you'll be a weird Christian. You might get straightened out in a few ways. But it, it, it's incredible the way that church becomes a magnet to people, sometimes with very poor motives, sometimes with character deficiencies that they want to sort of make up for in the presence of the church. There's some nice ordinary folks as well, don't worry. I'm not throwing it around. But what I am saying is that we need to beware. And Colossians was written because there was a heresy grabbing the church. Whether it was a Gnostic heresy or, I think more likely, a Jewish heresy that was grabbing things. Because there was this concentration, you're going to see, watch out for it. When the teaching in the church seems to be that some people were saying, Oh, you must do this on the Sabbath. Now, that wouldn't have any appeal to outside Judaism. Do you understand? But the idea was that some people were trying to lay upon other people demands things they had to do to be a good Christian or actually more perniciously things you have to do to be a Christian and Paul is writing the letter and you just watch out for his language I'm reading it from a modern translation but you just listen out to how harsh Paul is about those people and how he describes them. It's brilliant. I should almost say that, you know, Colossians 2 is required reading before you go on YouTube. (laughs) Because every time you go on YouTube, you're going to find these same characters shouting about all sorts of nonsense. In the coming weeks, we're going to have... How to battle against the flesh and win. I believe that's with Luke. And the following week, Cliff, I believe you, talking about God's way and how to live in families and in society. In Colossians 4. Some great, great advice. But this week, it's going to focus upon the spiritual battle that takes place between spiritual entities and you. So if you find that interesting, don't fall asleep. (laughs) Today we're going to look at the consequences of the cross. We're going to look at our new status in Christ. We're going to talk about the defeat of supernatural powers and also the critical need to stay in the truth. Got that? The critical need to stay in. In the truth Jesus it tells us is superior to the Jewish mystical teachings about angels Jesus is superior to angels you'll see that writ large in the book of Hebrews he's superior to the law he's superior to the Sabbath and food laws and Paul is going to link the cross and resurrection events to the defeat of the powers of darkness so while you are sitting comfortably then i will begin let's turn to the word of god together colossians 2 15 to 23 i'm reading from the cev version and um, i'll put them up on the slides if you want to watch that and we'll go through if you can read that if it's too small um just listen God wiped out the charges that were against us for disobeying the law of Moses. He took them away and nailed them to the cross. That was last week. What a high note to land on last week. Everything we've ever done wrong has been nailed to the cross. Wonderful. There, Christ defeated all powers and forces. He let the whole world see them being led away as prisoners when he celebrated his victory. Don't let anyone tell you what you must eat or drink. Don't let them say that you must celebrate New Moon Festival, the Sabbath, or any other festival. These things are only a shadow of what is to come. But Christ is real. Don't be cheated by people who make a show of acting humble and who worship angels. They brag about seeing visions. But it is all, say it with me, nonsense. Because their minds are filled with selfish desires. Got that? Why are they doing what they do? Because their minds are filled with selfish desires. Listen to this. They are no longer part of Christ, who is the head of the whole body. Christ gives his body strength and uses its joints and muscles to hold it together as it grows by the power of God. You died with Christ. And now the forces of the universe don't have any power over you. Why don't you live as if you? Ha- why do you live as if you had to obey such rules as don't handle this or taste that or touch this? After these things you use, they won't be good for anything. So why be bothered with rules that humans have made up? Obeying these rules might seem like the smart thing to do. They appear to make you love God and be very humble. And to have control over your body. But the really don't have any power over our desires. Thanks very much for that. What a powerful reading that is. And I would stress, you know, sometimes it's really good to go to a different translation. And read it like you'd read a book. Don't just trundle through it at speed as if you've got to get through it from beginning to end fast. The interesting thing about commas is you can pause. And when you reach a full stop, you can give it a bit longer pause. And if you get a new paragraph, you can even take a really deep breath before you start again. It's helpful because we want to understand what scripture says. It's interesting, isn't it, because he says, Don't let anyone tell you you must must eat or drink. Don't say that you must celebrate the new moon festival. These these things are only a shadow of what's to come, but Christ is real. It's interesting because in the book of um, Hebrews, um, we, we find a lot mentioned about this idea of shadows. And... Paul is using it here. Why would, he, why would he concentrate on this idea of shadows? Well, don't forget he's talking to people who live in Turkey. That's where Colossians are. But don't think of Turkish people today. Think instead of ancient Greeks. Because that's where it was. It was a Greek conquered country with a Greek system of ruling. Alexander the Great 300 years or so just before Jesus conquered the lot and Greek culture became the culture of the place and the Romans admired the Greek culture And so they didn't change too much. So even when the Romans conquered it, everybody still spoke Greek. They didn't speak Latin They spoke Greek and not only that Greek thought if you like was paramount It was what they what they understood have you heard of a little guy called Plato? Yeah. Um, I think there was a famous indie band called Plato or something. And, yeah, by the way, uh, that's not the one I meant. So this Plato uh, was born about 400 years before Jesus. And um, he, he had this idea. Now, actually, I wonder whether he nicked it. Um, because a 1,000 years before him... Moses talked about the fact that sometimes the things on earth are a shadow of the things in heaven. So, for example, when he was talking about building the temple, he was told to build it on the same model as the temple in in the presence of God in heaven. So, this idea as, as above, so below, there was that sort of link in the minds of people. Do you understand? And so, Plato came up with this idea. Um, can, can we just show the next slide, if you would, please? Um, it's called Plato's Cave. Right? Don't worry, we're not going to stay in it very long, but I want you to get this. Plato said, in the real world, we are trapped in the darkness. That's the guy sitting on the ground, Right? And he says, all we see is sort of shadows reflected from the spiritual realm. That's the guy holding the torch with the shadowy thing. You got that? And that was the idea. The the basic idea was that the people in this world are blind and only see faint glimmers of the world beyond. You all okay with that? Great, we can leave that then. In Hebrews, it says, and we can put this one up. Hebrews, it says, uh, These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. They serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent instructed by God, God said, See that you make it everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. So these are a shadow of the things to come, but. The writer of Hebrews says the substance is Christ. But this is why it was a good way to talk to people. Because the people in Colossians knew about Plato. He was the dude. He was the guy. He was the the person that everybody debated about. And so Paul is using something that people (laughs) understand. And what he's saying is the law was actually just a shadow of the things that were to come. Heaven will be the real thing. Jesus is superior to all this to do with the law. And he, he, he actually goes on and he says earlier in the chapter, Christ is superior to the elemental spirits of this world. That's a funny one, isn't it? Elemental spirits of this world. The Greek word is stokea. And what what Paul is doing here, and again, look back at Ephesians. He's tying it into the fact that we, we war against principalities and powers. Yeah. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. And again, if you talk to anybody at the time, they would use the word demon differently to us. I think it's helpful when we talk about casting out unclean spirits to call them that, unclean spirits or evil spirits. But the word demon was reserved for a higher prince-like evil force. So when in Daniel, Daniel talks about the fact that Gabriel uh, was being held off by the evil prince that rules over Persia... That's that level, if you like, when we talk about demons in the way that I'm going to use it this morning. Understand? We're talking about that higher level. Okay. It's interesting, if you want to just pick up the shadow thing, just, just to nail it down on a specific example. In, a, in Hebrews um, chapter 4, it talks about the Sabbath, now we understand the Sabbath is what just just talk to me anybody from anywhere a Saturday yeah that's right anything else first day of the week yeah anything else A a day of rest yeah good and why do we have a day of rest because God rested in his creation C- can anyone think about the purpose of the sabbath just on a verse the sabbath was made for man. for man god didn't god wasn't tired at the end of creation All right we almost we almost get that nonsense don't we god wasn't tired but man was made for the sabbath or rather the sabbath was made for man but in Hebrews, he's going to peel back the shadow. And he's going to tell you the secret. Because in Hebrews 4, it says this Christ is our Sabbath, Christ is our rest. What we saw in the Old Testament, this putting one day aside, was a shadow. If something far bigger. Now when you saw the shadow puppets, did you like that cartoon one? Yes. I must admit when I first looked at it, I didn't get it. But that just tells you how dense I can be at times. But I love that idea of the rabbit making the rabbit thingy. Yeah. But the point about these shadow puppets is, you see what they look like, but you don't get what's going on. You don't know how they're twisting the hands to make crooked rabbit talk whatever so we must understand that occasionally the scripture tells us things that we find surprising because we see the shape of the rabbit we don't see what's making the shape and ultimately the Sabbath was going to be about your rest do you ever feel tired you feel weary you feel frankly as you get on you young ones just you, you, you've no idea what lies ahead <laughs> you, you come home and say things to your parents like oh I feel really tired right just you wait <laughs> you will learn what real tiredness is and I can't pretend I'm there yet because I'm too young Friends, one day we will enter into our rest with Christ. He is our rest. So, let's get to the meat of what Paul's saying. You see, these people were talking about Sabbaths. Keep the Sabbath, do this. If you... If you want to have one day of rest a week, I think that's great. Yeah? That is so sensible. Your body isn't designed to run seven days a week, even if you're young. You can do it for short spells when you have to, you know. You're in the army. You've been sent out the battlefield. I don't really, I want to rest today. You know, that's not going to go down well. They're talking about bringing conscription back, weren't they? You know? I heard a, a young person being interviewed on telly, uh, and the reporter goes to him and says, "How do you feel about conscription?" He says, "Well, what is it?" He says, "Well, you have to join the army." And and the young man said, "Well, I think that'd be all right. Uh, can I work from home?" these people were trying to lay the trip of the sabbath upon the people and it's important that we understand it's okay we can keep the sabbath as a day of rest that's fine but the minute you make it a requirement you are taking something and adding it to the finished work of christ it's like saying jesus what you did on the cross was good But you need a little bit of help from me to make things absolutely perfect. I'm going to keep the Sabbath. And I'm going to do it religiously because it's going to give me brownie points. No. Sorry. I was born in a culture. You know, you accept it when you're a kid, don't you? And my mum and dad's church were lovely people. But there were all sorts of mad ideas, you know, you can't buy anything on a Sunday. Apart from anything else, the move the Saturday to the Sunday, there's a big debate about that, isn't it? You can't buy anything. And they were almost trying to keep the law like a Jewish person would keep their Sabbath. It was just not scriptural. And Paul becomes pretty blunt about this. Listen. Let no one disqualify you insistent on asceticism, that Asceticism, it's a good word, isn't it? This is the word for today. You can take this one home and impress your friends and neighbors. Right? Asceticism. What does it mean? It means, like, um, you, you'll have come across, you know, I run 20 miles a day to keep my body right. Yeah? Because it's a, a good spiritual thing to do. Now, it's a good physical thing, I get that. Every day I run 20 miles, I find myself really, you know, invigorated. (laughs) But it ain't a spiritual thing. But you can sense that in some groups of people, can't you? Or even what you eat. Have you come across the vegetarian lobby who, you know, see it as a spiritual thing? Timothy said in the last days, there'll be people who come along telling you not to eat meat. You know, for spiritual reasons. Right? Paul says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worshiping angels and going in details about visions puffed up up without reason by the sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. What What was his first thing that he said? Let no one disqualify you. Can you imagine, the people in Colossae were in danger, spiritual danger of being disqualified, why? Because the minute you add to the Gospel, you are moving away from the Gospel. It's either finished and accomplished by Christ and it's done to us, or we earn in our place. And Paul said if you want to keep the law to get to heaven, keep every single law, and even then, it won't do it. That's the problem. Cling to anything else, and you're not holding fast to the head. Why on earth do people make stuff up? Isn't it weird? They brag about seeing visions, but it's all nonsense because their minds are filled with selfish desires. So welcome to the world of weird Christians. I want to ask you a question. Why become a leader? Shall I bring you and Cliff on the stage and, (laughs) and anyone else? There's only the two of you this morning. Shall I bring you up and ask you why you become a leader? I won't embarrass you. But it would be an interesting conversation. Let me tell you why some people are drawn to leadership. Some find themselves becoming a minister because they think it's a job. It's a career choice. In the old posh days, you know, when Darcy was around and What's that woman's name? Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth Bennett. Bennett's. All wanting husbands. And they'll look at the range of husbands on offer. Thank you. Bless you. So the, there's the Bennett sisters. Who do they draw from? Well, the best catch of all is the firstborn. Because they inherit all the land and they're the top of the gentry tree. Yeah? But what do you do with your next son? Because the first one's got your inheritance. We'll talk about that afterwards. Not all of you. Don't, Don't take this out of context. So, the first one gets the inheritance. The second one, they're usually shuffled off into the army. But the third son, in posh days, used to be the, would send them, well, i missed something. <laughs> Do you, know, you know when something's obviously going on, but you don't know where it is. <laughs> and the third son would be pushed into the Church of England. Yeah? And become a bishop. So... Some people go into church leadership as a job. And of course you think those days have gone, don't you? I was a naive fool when I was young because I thought that, you know, old nominal Christianity would just die out. Because, like, who on earth would want to go into that? I was was a hippie. (laughs) Hair. (laughs) You know. And I could not imagine any of my contemporaries ever sort of taking the job in a church as a minister if they didn't believe. And then I the found they did. They cut the hair, put on a posher voice, <laughs> and took the job. God forbid Why do other ones go into the church? Some people go in to get rich. Don't kid yourself. I don't mean here. But some go into the church to get rich. This morning, sorry, that's the one I'm drinking from. This is the special water. Brothers, sisters, I want to tell you this morning that I've prayed over this water. (laughs) And this water now has taken and been imbibed by the Spirit of God. This water now will bless you. This water now is capable of setting you free from every aches and pains that you might be feeling. Even those advanced in age. And for a mere 70 (laughs) pound. Thank you. (laughs) For a mere 70 pound payable in five easy to pay installments. This will be bottled for you. And sent to you. And you can share in the blessing that God has given us this morning. For those online, if you've just come in, (laughs) start at the beginning. Because this is not real. But I tell you, there are people who go into the church to get rich. There are people who go into the church to become powerful. There are people who go into the church to become an influencer. See how trendy I am? <laughs> I can use the word influencer. Just drop it out there. And everybody knows I'm with it. <laughs> Do you know, I think influencers in some way are as bad as the greedy. Th- they mightn't be in it for money, although clearly there might be. You know, but it takes millions of hits to get tons. Um But they're in it for the adrenaline and the power. You understand? What are they in it for? Having followers is a buzz. Bragging to your people, you know, we've got half a million followers. It's like they've become a little vocal prophet of the contemporary world because they can speak and 500,000 people might listen. It's impressive. The trouble is that once you start doing that, you're on a treadmill because you've got to put out another podcast or another, you know, post. And if you say something weak. You're going to look weak. So you need to put out something that's startling. Something with big claims. And then you've got the kudos that comes back from that. But of course there's nothing new to say sometimes. So you say rubbish. So what I'm telling you here is that there's nothing new they mightn't have had social media in Colossians, but they had the grapevine. They had whispers. They had people who were prepared to sort of grab two or three people together and pull them in. Put their hand around the shoulder and whisper things that Paul is having to speak against. Listen to his words. Don't let anyone tell you what must eat or drink. Don't let them say you must celebrate the New Moon Festival, the Sabbath, or other festival. Don't be cheated by people who make a show of acting humble, but who worship angels. They brag about seeing visions, but it's all nonsense. Why? Because their minds are filled with selfish desires. So I want you to be wise this morning. Are you prepared to be that? Learn the lesson that other people make. Or rather the mistakes that other people make. It's far easier to look at the mistakes of others and go, ah, got it. I won't make that mistake. The trouble is that sometimes what happens is that we shift into... um, I know this speaker. I really respect this speaker. They've just gone astray once by claiming something outrageous. You know, I'm I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's not the approach that Paul takes. Because once you've been heretical, guess what? You're a heretic. So unless they repent and apologize and make good... Then don't give them any more time. Stay away from people who spout nonsense. They can't be trusted, and their spin and their lies will harm you. And what's more, Paul is saying they disqualify themselves. He even says they're no longer part of Christ, who is the head of the whole body. We must be committed to truth and only that. So, why become a minister? For a simple reason, it's to become a servant. In fact, that's what the word minister means. Be a servant. You don't have to just become a paid minister. You can be a servant and a minister and minister in in your life group. You can minister in your social group. But be a servant. Don't be the person who wants to be at the top. Be the person who's prepared to be at the bottom. Lead from there, not from there. We must become a servant of God. We must become a servant of the word if you are going to become a minister. You need to become a workman, it says. In other words, you need to invest time and energy and and thought and be on your knees. You must be a servant of the word, you must be a servant of prayer. If you want to be a minister, it's no good just having the word. You also have to be a servant of prayer. Your knees must be as strained as your eyes. When we call someone to be a minister of this place, you know, the the apostle said, it's not good that we get involved in all the deacon stuff. Let's give that out because we must devote ourselves to the word of God and, and to prayer. Now don't brag about it because we're told never to brag about it. Be in your cupboard. Close the door. I will never ask anybody about their prayer life and I would ask nobody asks me about my prayer life. You want to be rewarded by God, don't you? Yes. Not by people. You don't want kudos and badgers stuck on you. But you must also be a servant of the body. By that, I don't mean that Luke and Cliff and others, Chris, have to run around constantly after people. In fact, sometimes that can be very much to the detriment because they should be giving themselves the word of God and prayer. They must lead. But, friends, just see that in opposition to the people who go into it for a job, the people who go into it for money, the people who go into it for power. how to disqualify yourself well first of all by clinging to anything other than grace by failing to own to others that you're a follower of christ jesus said if you confess me before men i will confess you before the father if you don't confess me before men guess what i won't confess you before the father You'll always be labelled as the odd person who's a strange thing called a Christian. You'll never be part of the inner groups of any other organisation because they'll always look at you. They might be okay having a coffee with you. They might not. They wouldn't want to work beside you. No, no, because if you're a Christian, you'll be one of those funny people that will preach to them. We... We must, must, must not be disqualified. We must own to others that we are a follower of Christ. We must absolutely never cling to anything other than grace. Now, when we cling to grace, God will do a work inside our heart that makes us different And then we will want to do good things. And we'll want to have a holy life. And and, and we'll be damaged and hurt every time we commit sin. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit inside our life. But we must remember there's nothing other than grace. This morning, salvation is what is being done to you. If you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus... Be aware, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough. You're in exactly the right place to receive right now. Right now. You're in the place to receive Christ. You don't have to put things right first because you can't put them right. You've been trying often enough and it hasn't worked. You come to Christ. It is by grace We would be disqualified if we add anything to the gospel. Never get hooked. And we will also be discounted and disqualified if we lose bits of what the Bible says. So, at the end of Revelation, don't add to the scripture, but don't take anything away. You can't turn around and say, I I love the Bible. It's wonderful. I live by the Bible. Well, I I live by the Bible apart from that one little thing that I really dislike because it's out of date. No. We don't add. We don't take away. We admit to others we're a Christian and we don't depend on anything else but grace. Grace. I'm going to give you the first, uh, the last five minutes of this on the best bit of anything I've said so far. You okay for that? Yes. Good. I want you to realize where you were before Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel. That displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Do you notice Paul's terminology? The God of this age. Naturally speaking we are blind. We don't get it. We hear the gospel and sort of slips over the top of us. It doesn't register. We don't see the light. Unless God breaks in and touches you. And I thank God this morning he's here. You know, it says where two or three are gathered, I'm there in the midst. Why is that? Well, it's dead easy, really. Where is the kingdom of God? Within you. You've received the Spirit of God. Yes? Come here. You don't mind, you? Ah, it's good. The Spirit of God is within you. The spirit of God is within me. And where two or three are gathered. Guess what? He's in the midst of us. That's all. But do you understand? The spirit of God is within us. But the world cannot see it. Because the world is under the domination. And the blindness of the enemy. But. Earlier in the chapter, Paul said, See it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty the seat according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. If you look at that carefully, what it's saying is this. The evil spirits or the elemental spirits of this world are responsible for crazy teaching. Yeah? Philosophy and empty seat according to hum and human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world. That's the stochia, and not according to Christ. So not only are we blind, but we are also led astray. All the craziness this world has to offer. Let's take the druids. I think it's safe to pick on the druids. The Druids were around in this country when Julius Caesar invaded. And he wrote about the Druids. One of the interesting things he wrote was, they have no written tradition. So if you're a Druid, you don't write things down, you just memorize them. Yeah? In the 1800s, the Druids were started again by somebody who said he's got access to the ancient traditions. That's clever, isn't it? And all this Druid movement started again in Wicca and everything else that came from it. Guess what? Not only is it total nonsense, but I know where it came from. From what Paul says here. From these elemental spirits who push doctrine out to the susceptible. In 1 Corinthians 8, it talks about... An idol is nothing in all the world. There's no God but one. For even the so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth. And yes, there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God. Why does God say in the Old Testament, have no other gods before me? These are gods with little g's. They're not real. They're not gods in that sense. But they are principalities and powers. And yet Christ defeated all powers and all forces. It says here, when our sins were nailed to the cross, as he was dying on the cross, he was winning the greatest of victories. He was winning against every power of Darkness, in in 1 Corinthians 2 it says, if the enemy, or if the ruler of this age, which Paul calls the enemy, Satan, if the rulers of this age had realized what was going to happen, they would have never had him crucified. So just try and imagine the scene at the cross. I can't envisage the dark realms, I cannot. I'm not going to make it up, because that would make me one of those people that Paul's speaking against. But I think it's reasonable to say that every pawn of the enemy, every lord of the enemy, every general, every captain of darkness, and Satan himself, and death, all were there waiting their moment of victory on the cross. Until the moment that Jesus said, It is finished. And at that point, every crown of darkness just fell to sand. Every sword in the hand was broken. Every power became nothing. Because it says here that he disarmed. All these forces. Not only did he disarm them. He took from them everything that was their power. And he led it away. So that the whole world could celebrate the victory. The the Bible says clearly that in the. Uh, In the place of death before Christ. There was a strange place called paradise. Paradise is where Abraham provided comfort to those in Christ before the resurrection. Yes? Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise to the dying thief. And that the Bible says that when he died, he descended down into hell. We know that in that place the rich man and the poor man could see each other but there was an abyss between the two that nobody could cross the bible tells us in ephesians that jesus emptied that place and took them who were captive and led them and presented them and ascended to the father have you got that before christ the place of Hades was the place that grabbed them and held them even if they were in like i'll make it easy there's a goody end and a bady end. Those who were honorable in Christ uh, uh, before Christ came but, but clinging to the obedience of God were one place and those who weren't were in the other place. Friends, he led captivity captive do, do, do you just this in your mind for a moment who was the first person to die yeah. so Abel. Abel his sacrifice was given to God and God accepted his sacrifice who do we see coming out of this paradise that now is empty and presented before the father we see Abel standing in blood-soaked garments Killed by his brother. We see Eve, who was given the promise that the deliverer would come. Who would stand on and crush the head of the serpent who deceived her in the garden. We see Adam, the first Adam, who couldn't envisage it But a second Adam, the Bible says, came to deliver us. We see the early patriarchs, we see Noah, we see Abraham himself, who has such a presence that it's even called Abraham's bosom, the place of Abraham's comfort. We see the patriarchs, we see the prophets, we see all those who died, presented before the Father. And now, absent from the body, present with the lord we don't go to an empty paradise that's gone we go into the presence of god as soon as we leave this body but i believe that such a welcome will await us paul or rather the writer of hebrews in in chapter 11 talks about the great cloud of witnesses and he goes through those people of faith who've gone on before and so, as he goes through the, 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 the lists of people of faith, and then says, Now, since we are gathered together with such a cloud of witnesses, in other words, all those who have gone before are watching us. Yes? One day, it mightn't be long, I don't know. If Christ doesn't return, and if Christ comes back, that's different. But if not, that's okay. One day. I will die. But it's better to be with him. And I'm sure as I pass into glory in the presence of Christ, my mum and my dad are going to be clapping. As they see me walk across my grandparents, when the day comes for you, sunshine... They never knew you other than a baby. What joy is going to be on their face when they see you entering into the kingdom of God. Dean and Don's going to be there. Yeah. He's going to clap. Albert and Betty, they'll be there as so we walk across that line, absent from the body, present with God. And every power that the enemy had to interfere with that is gone. Pam's going to be there for you, George. She'll welcome you with open arms. Death, where is your sting? Where is it? I know where it was before the cross. But where's your sting now? It's got no hold on you. It's got no hold on me. Christ. Our hope of glory. Friends, this morning, I want you to grab what has happened. At the cross, it was all one. Do not beat yourself up. right things that are wrong of course of course how can we otherwise approach the bread and the wine we approach the bread and the wine in the spirit that says this if we're conscious of things we've done wrong we put them right and if you're wrong with a brother or sister don't be embarrassed right we're all in the same boat get up and go over and give them a hug right incredible thing about misunderstandings they're usually nothing and if it's more than that well you've lost your temper before haven't you have you ever said hard words to somebody yeah, yeah. listen we brothers and sisters together just get up and hug somebody if you need to that's interesting i said hug not strangle Did uh, Okay. <laughs> Let's put ourselves right with God. But understand this you haven't earned it. It's a gift. And the enemy's going to turn around and prod you and say, eh, what about that sin that you keep doing? And you keep saying, forgiven? I'm going to try not to do it again, but forgive him. And every time the enemy says, you're under my power, guess what? No, I'm not. (laughs) Death wears your sting. Nah. Nah. Paid for. Nailed to the cross. Paid for. So if you, if you're watching this morning, And you haven't yet found this peace with God. Or if you're in the room. Over here. Over here. In the middle. Wherever you are. If you have not yet found peace with God. On these terms. Where you say simply this. Lord I believe. I step out in faith. And I want you in my life. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe you're the son of God. And I will trust in you. And then you're also prepared to go out and tell people that you've made that decision and if you promise never to cling to anything else and you promise to cling to the Word of God and not lose a bit of it or add a bit to it if you prepared to do that there is no power of hell there is no power in any of the enemy's forces that can overpower what you are they are disarmed you are free you are not in the grip of the enemy on your mind. No. You are free. You might have things to resolve. Yes. But you are free. He only has the power that you give given. Don't be conned. And lastly, don't be conned by these idiots who make up things. And then turn around and make people obey them. We won't be having any of that, will we? Bless you.